what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. Travelers, and welcome to uh, the Before and After Show Early Morning Edition. Even though you're listening to this whenever you want, I'm recording this much earlier in the day than I'm used to. So if I sound a little AM-y, that's, uh, that's why. If you haven't listened to the show before, here's how it works. Each week I take a film or set of films that I've never seen before, uh, give you my opinion on what I think I'm going to get out of them, and release that as an episode, and then the next week I come back and I tell you what I actually thought about them. And I have three movies I need to get to today. Usually I have a guest to this week I'm flying solo, so it'll be kind of a shorter episode, more uh, bite-sized for you guys, I guess. But before I get into that, uh, I haven't been consuming a lot this week as far as movie and television goes. We finished Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It's great. Uh, I love it. Um, It's just, it's a more cartoony 30 Rock and I'm fine with that. There are some great cameos in the last few episodes that are, oh man, so good. Um, there is, I don't know if this is spoilers or not, but the show's been out for the better part of the year now, and uh, I'm sure it's gotten out, but John Hamm is in it. He plays the former cult leader of uh, the cult that Kimmy was in, and man, I... Uh, I just feel like that guy wasted seven years of his life winning Emmys on Mad Men because he's so hilarious. He's so funny. I feel like he should have been doing comedy this whole time. Um, I saw him one time at a taping of Conan, and he is very handsome. And it's kind of upsetting because... He's hilarious and handsome, and what the heck, man? You don't need, don't claim two of those things. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. Don't be doing that. Other than that, I've actually started uh, reading, actually reading one book, and quote reading another book, having it read to me via uh, the dulcet voice of Mr. Uh, Wesley Crusher himself, Will Wheaton. Um, so we'll start with that. I've been listening to um, Armada by Ernest Klein. Now, Ernest Klein, he's an author that wrote a much-beloved book called Ready Player One. Uh, if you love that book, it's not that good, so there's that. Um, it's being adapted into a movie by Spielberg, which is the only reason I will be seeing the Ready Player One movie, because I think that the book was super overrated, but you attach Spielberg to it, so now I have to see it. Although there's some casting stuff going on right now that uh, I'm just not too sure about. Uh, We'll we'll see how it goes. Spielberg gets a lot out of kids, so we'll find out. But so Ready Player One was kind of about this this weird future where this sort of second life type game has taken over. It's kind of like Facebook meets the second life, um, but the, the guy who created it in some sort of 
Willy Wonka Fever Dream created this insane Easter egg hunt in the middle of of the uh, the, the the virtual world that he has uh, created, and he dies. And when he dies, he re- reveals this Easter egg competition, and whoever gets to the Easter eggs first, there's like three Easter eggs that you have to find or whatever. And if you get through them, all of it belongs to you when you go through the glass elevator and then you're in charge of, uh, the sort of, uh, the world basically, um, because the world has, um, basically deteriorated on the outside because people are so obsessed with, um, this second life game. I don't even remember what it's called. Uh, fans of the book are hating me more than they already did right now. But that was kind of the premise of of Ready Player One. And it's a good premise. It's a good premise. Except it's not particularly well written. Um, Ernest Cline isn't a good author. Uh, He spends too much time doing unnecessary world building. Now, I could be wrong. That could be how books work. I haven't read as many books as I've seen movies, but in my my movie brain, I guess, there's just so much exposition in this novel, and so it's it's not um it's not very tight, and so it just kind of meanders along back and forth of talking about these gas wars that happen, and that's why the Earth is in the state. And I don't care. I just want something fast paced that has these kids trying to find these uh these easter eggs and like it loses focus a lot to go down these uh these kind of side roads so ready player one wasn't that great of a read i am in the minority here people love that book uh a lot it's one of the most popular books that i've seen amongst uh people my age since harry potter people love it so um i could be wrong i'm not but i could be and he came out with a follow-up called Armada, and I start. I, I listened to the audiobook for Ready Player One, and I will say that Will Wheaton did a fantastic job reading it, and he's doing a fantastic job reading Armada. I'm about three chapters into Armada, and I think it's tighter than Ready Player One. I don't know if it's as interesting yet, and the reason I don't know if it's as interesting is because it follows... Uh, the story of this kid named Zach, last name, and he he takes, he sees a UFO that looks like a UFO from a video game he loves playing outside of his window at school, and he then finds out that his father had this crazy uh, conspiracy theory that the government was using video games to control people and train future pilots to fight these aliens. And the reason I'm not sure it's as good as Ready Player One, even though I don't think Ready Player One is that good and uh, Armada is better written, it's so directly a ripoff of Ender's Game, but it acknowledges that it takes place in a world where Ender's Game exists. And I don't know if that's maniacal genius or just the most hubris-filled move an author has ever made, where they're directly ripping off material and acknowledge that they're ripping off material. Uh, The plot of Ender's Game plays heavily into Armada so far as both the plot of Armada and a plot point in Armada, and it's very strange. I don't understand it. Uh, Couple that with... 
Ernest Klein is that the worst kind of nerd. I've never seen him. Uh, I've never seen him give an interview. I've only read these two books, and I guess he had something to do with the movie Fanboys, which I actually love a lot. That's a great movie. Um, but I've only read these two things, and I can already tell that he's the worst kind of nerd. And the reason he's the worst kind of nerd is because um, the book constantly has to show its nerd superiority, and I don't care at all. I don't care how much you love Star Trek and want to toss in a Kobayashi Maru reference. I don't care that most of the characters speak only in crappy 80s movies uh, dialogue or that their favorite movies are uh, just like weird 80s movies, 80s cult movies that people have forgotten about like Iron Eagle. I don't care. No one cares, Ernest Klein. No one cares. Stop it. All you're doing is adding crap to your book that doesn't need to be there. Tighten it up. If anything, these books need to be like a nerd Dan Brown novel. Dan Brown, not a great writer. Dan Brown, kind of a good storyteller. He tells like a fun, fast-paced yarn. He gets in, he gets out, he does his job. Everything that he does moves his stories forward. He's not a good writer. His stories may not be that interesting, but he knows how to propel them along to where his books never outweigh their welcome and or outstay their welcome, pardon me. Ernest Klein doesn't do that. Ernest Klein's books go on forever about things I already know or don't care about. Um, just to insert this nerd superiority and nerd knowledge into these books. And, like, do that in interviews or don't do that at all because you shouldn't because it's obnoxious and you need to stop it. So I'm still going to finish Armada. Uh, it's... I know it sounds like I'm crapping on it, but I like it better than Ready Player One, I think. I think if you if you really force me to choose, I would say this is the superior of the two. It seems like he's learned at least a little bit from Ready Player One. There's not a ton of meandering, and the meandering that does happen does kind of serve the story. And there's a, kind of a cool plot point in that it acknowledges the Polybius, or Polybius? I believe it's called Polybius. Uh, the Polybius conspiracy theory about uh, this video game that showed up in Oregon over a summer that uh, supposedly the government was testing to people or see if they could get people addicted to video games long enough to like pull off a covert operation. I like that conspiracy theory. It's dumb, obviously, but I like it and I like that he acknowledges it and it does show that he does his research. Um, you know, Ernest Klein, for all his nerd posturing, does have a lot of knowledge of that world. That's great. Use it more like that, though. Uh, I'd, I'd rather see you work it into your plot a little bit more than taking these asides to, um, you know, uh, enter a nerd superiority pissing contest. That's all I have to say to you, Ernest Klein. You're not going to hear this, so it doesn't matter, but stop doing that. It's annoying and no one likes it, um, except for the millions of people who love Ready Player One, I guess. <laughs> um, so that's Armada. Uh, I've also been reading The Martian. The upcoming Matt Damon film is actually a book. And The Martian has an interesting story behind it in that the rights to the movie were sold before the book existed. I think it was in the process of being written. But it, yeah, so Andy Weir was able to sell the rights to this movie before he was able to uh, finish writing his book and release it. So that's weird. Um, Ridley Scott's doing the movie. 
I don't like Ridley Scott that much. Uh, I'm just, oh man, people are so mad at me right now. I don't like Ridley Scott that much. I think he's super overrated. Uh, I can probably count on one hand of the amount of Ridley Scott films that I've actually enjoyed. Um, I do think he's made some good movies. Alien is, I mean, if you listened a couple episodes ago, Alien's probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Alien's great. Uh, Gladiator's great. Matchstick Man is super underrated. Nicolas Cage is great in that movie. Sam Rockwell's great in that movie. It's a good little, like, con man caper movie. Um, He's done some good work, but I don't think he's one of the all-time greats. I think he's made some of the all-time greats, but I don't think he's one of the all-time great directors. He's too inconsistent for me to not be considered that. So... I'm trepidatious going into the Martian film, especially while I'm reading the book, because the book is super cool. Um, There is, ah, man, I really am enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, It's the exact opposite of Armada in that uh, everything has a reason. I don't know much about Andy Weir, but he's got to have some sort of science degree or something because it's so scientific um but it's also explained in layman's terms it's easy to follow uh if if you're paying attention i've had to go back and reread some things twice but i have to go back and reread some things twice is the thing like i'm interested and invested enough in the story that i go oh wait i didn't quite understand that let me reread it to understand that and so far i'm about four chapters into like 20 chapters or 16 chapters i could be i might even be 24 um I'm about four chapters into The Martian, and what's great about it is that so far it's pretty much been ways to farm and botany, uh, potato botany, plus calorie counting, and that's it. Uh, it's, it's the story of a man who is on one of the, he's on the third manned mission to Mars, and... They get caught up in a dust storm, and he gets hit by a stray satellite dish, and it punctures a hole in his spacesuit, and punctures a hole in himself as a result. And so his crew makes the decision to leave him on Mars for dead, uh, because it very much looks like he's dead, and go back to Earth. Uh, Well, then he wakes up, and he's now stranded on Mars. So he's trying to figure out a way to survive the four years it will take for someone to for the next crew to arrive so right now where i'm at he's just kind of like figuring out how he's gonna get food and he's a botanist so he's got all these ideas on what he should be doing to survive and it's really interesting i don't know how well it will translate to a movie i feel like they're going to have to change it up a lot it looks like there are quite a few more characters uh than just uh, the 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 main astronaut guy in the movie. Um, so we'll we'll see how the movie goes. Uh, Matt Damon's playing the the quote the Martian in the movie. It seems a little similar to his role in Interstellar. So we'll see we'll see about that. I don't really know. Um, I'm not full on board the Matt Damon hype train, uh, but I. I feel like I say this a lot about a lot of actors, but if he's in something, I'm fine with it. Uh, If he's not in something, I'm fine with it. I don't necessarily seek out stuff he does that isn't a Bourne movie. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like he'll be... I feel like he'll he'll get the personality down. It seems like... uh, It's very funny. The book is very funny. And it seems like Matt Damon has that in him, maybe. Especially if he's by himself and he has to figure all this stuff out. 
I just don't know how you make intense calorie counting translate to the big screen. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but I, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's great. It's a really good little read. Um, I was a little nervous going in because it is pretty universally praised, and so I didn't want to get caught up in a hype train or anything, but I think it's I think it's really good. So yeah, that's The Martian and Armada. Um, and that's kind of all I've been doing outside of the podcast movies this week. So we'll take a short break, and I will be right back with uh, reviews for three extremely middle-of-the-road movies. And we're back. All right, so this week we saw the late August release uh, kind of dump truck roll up and dump its contents. Um, Late August releases are never uh, good. (laughs) Um, They're they're, they're not bad. They're usually pretty middle of the road. It's kind of the beginning of September, which September is usually a dump month. And August is it's weird because the first half of August seems to be where you get those end of end of summer sleepers, uh, which I think we found in uh, Man from Uncle and maybe straight out of Compton. I don't know if being number one three weeks in a row makes it a sleeper, but I don't think anyone was anticipating straight out of Compton to do that well. So uh, and if what's coming out this weekend is any indication, I'm. I think I stand firm in saying that it'll be number one this weekend. So uh, maybe maybe not straight out of Compton as a sleeper, but it was a it was a huge surprise August hit. Um, last year we had Guardians of the Galaxy as the surprise August hit. A few years ago we had Rise of the Planet of the Apes as a surprise August hit. So there's always one it seems like, and then a few sleepers, and then the end of the month is usually just like, oh, here's the crap we need to unload before Oscar season starts. And that's usually what August and September are. I'm interested to see how the September plays out because you've got Black Mass coming out and Black Mass looks like a very much a Johnny Depp give me an Oscar vehicle and I think he uh, might end up earning it because it looks pretty good. But late August movies, never um, never that good. So I took on a, a film called No Escape this week and the film stars Pierce Brosnan and Owen Wilson and as a result, I did a Pierce Brosnan movie and an Owen Wilson movie. And so we'll get into those first. Um, the first off the Owen Wilson movie I picked was Behind Enemy Lines. I understand no one cares about Behind Enemy Lines. I don't care about Behind Enemy Lines. The reason I chose it is because No Escape is an action thriller. And Owen Wilson is not the first name in action thrillers, believe it or not. He's only done one other role like this, and that role is Behind Enemy Lines. So I wanted to see what it looked like to to see Owen Wilson play against type in two different movies. Um, Behind Enemy Lines is not good. It's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. But there are moments in it. Um, it, it, it. So it follows the story of this sort of arrogant Navy pilot who kind of turns in his, his notice to the Navy and he gets shot down because he flies into airspace he's not supposed to be in and he takes these pictures of mass graves and then he's on the run from the people who shot him down. Basically, all the while, the U.S. military and the uh, Bosnian government are trying to come to a uh, an agreement, uh, sort of a ceasefire agreement, I guess, on 
on uh, this conflict that's happening. Um, and his superior officer is played by Gene Hackman, who is fantastic. He's the best part of the movie. He's great. He plays a father figure really well. He plays a military leader really well. Gene Hackman is so good in this movie. Um, he's the only one really kind of trying. Owen Wilson is Owen Wilson-y in this movie, but there's a point where it stops, and I liked that. Um, I liked Owen Wilson in this movie, which is not something I usually say outside of Wes Anderson movies. Um, Owen Wilson is playing against type here. He's got a military haircut. He's in military shape. The first maybe 40 minutes that's kind of character establishment and, and exposition and stuff where he's not... Um, behind enemy lines he's very owen wilson-y and it's kind of the same old owen wilson we're used to seeing but once he crashes he's not very owen wilson-y like he's he's acting he's acting is what i'll say uh and it's it's really interesting to watch him act um i don't know if he's if he's great but he's serviceable he's not bad in it um and i was able to cut ties with owen wilson and that, I think, is something, because he, Owen Wilson is such a, quote, character. He's not an interesting character or a well-thought-out or rounded character, but Owen Wilson is a character. Owen Wilson always plays the character of Owen Wilson, and he doesn't in this movie, and it's pretty interesting. And I think it's because he looks different in this movie with his military haircut and his sort of, like, military physique that it helps. It helped me sever that uh, tie between, like, this Owen Wilson that's supposed to be believable as an action guy and like, oh wow, that guy. There's one great stunt in this movie. Uh, there's, there was, I, the movie kind of chugs along and it never overstays its welcome. It's, it's well paced enough, I guess. It's, you know, like just under a hundred minutes or just over a hundred minutes or something. So it's not like, it's inoffensively mediocre. It just kind of does its thing and then uh, doesn't exist anymore, basically. But there's one scene where he's on a dam and the sniper starts shooting at him and he slides down the dam. And they actually got like a stunt guy to strap a camera to him and slide down this dam. And it's kind of first person, but then it cuts back and forth between like the snipers perspective and so you see the stuntman sliding down the the dam and it's really cool it's a great stunt it seems like it looks like a bomb stunt to be perfectly honest and uh so that that was probably my favorite part of the movie my least favorite part of the movie was mostly any other action sequence um this movie clearly didn't have that big of a budget and as a result it didn't have uh many action sequences it just had production stills that they played sound effects over and that was a huge problem uh many times action sequences would end with a freeze frame on a character and then an explosion noise and then that character was no longer in the movie it was a problem it was a huge problem this movie was so poorly made and there were these crappy uh, CGI explosions that weren't even explosion colored. Um, they couldn't color correct them. So the edges of the, the fire, the CG fire, were uh, blue and green. And it was pretty hilarious. Uh, so it's not like a well-made or well-constructed film by any stretch of the imagination. But Gene Hackman turns in a good performance. Owen Wilson turns in uh, half of a non-Owen Wilson performance and half of a normal Owen Wilson performance. And it's really interesting to sort of see him break that character. And not only that, but for me to buy it, which, uh, as we'll find out, doesn't happen in No Escape. But before I move on to No Escape, I watched a, a film called The Matador. 
with Pierce Brosnan. Now, The Matador came out in 2005, and 2005 was when everyone thought... I don't know if it was this... I don't want to say it's... I hesitate to say it's this new... This sort of neo-Tarantino that had been about 10 years since um, Pulp Fiction had come out, and so everyone kind of thought they were Tarantino at the time, but it... it, I I don't want to say that, but you had these sort of neo-noir movies like... uh, like the Ice Harvest with John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton, or my personal favorite, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer in it. The Matador kind of hit a little bit at that time. It came out in 2005, like I said, and it's got Pierce Brosnan and Greg Kinnear in it. And it's about this hitman who meets this businessman in Mexico City, and um, he ends up... the the hitman ends up having anxiety and so after they meet in mexico city six months later he shows up at uh the businessman's house in denver and asks to stay with them for a while and eventually ends up recruiting the uh businessman to help him go on quote one last big hit that'll get the people who want him dead off his trail if he does this last contract for them and so uh, the first hour is, like, really fun, and it's sort of a black comedy, so there's, like, a lot of, like, dark jokes or, like, weird ways of dealing with tragedy that are, like, kind of funny but kind of awkward and kind of not. And it's actually pretty well written. Um, it's not quite as punchy and snappy as uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or The Ice Harvest, but it's got that same kind of feel to it, like, two guys bantering back and forth and trading kind of witty one-liners. It moves a lot slower. The dialogue, the pace of the dialogue moves a lot slower. And that's fine because it's well-written. Um, I think, uh, I don't remember the director's name, but the the same guy who directed it wrote it. He did a fine job writing it. There's a great scene in a, um, at a bullfight where Pierce Brosnan tells Greg Kinnear what he's doing, like what, that he's a hitman. And that's pretty great. Um, the problem is that first hour is really good, and the last 15 minutes would be pretty good, uh, except the the movie's only 98 minutes long, and the movie should be about an hour and 15 minutes long because what happens is it spends an hour in Mexico City, flash forward six months later, and then spends 15 minutes with... Um, with Pierce Brosnan living with this couple, uh, Greg Kinnear and uh, Hope Davis, who you may recognize as the mom from Jurassic World or uh, Kitty from Arrested Development. Uh, she was also in some other big movie this summer. I don't remember what it was. And uh, he kind of, Pierce Brosnan moves in with them and you only get one scene of that and then you get immediately jumped to the big, the big hit that's going to clear Pierce Brosnan's name. And so there's an unnecessary 15 minutes in there, and it's also super unnecessary because it starts the movie over, basically, because Pierce Brosnan shows up, and the exact same information that was given to us in the first hour has now been condensed into this 15-minute scene where they inform the wife of what Pierce Brosnan does and what these character beats are that we got in the first hour, and so it's unnecessary and redundant, and I don't know how it made it into the final cut of the movie, because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Roger Ebert gave this movie three and a half stars. I don't understand it, because there's so little new information given as the movie goes on past its first hour that it's so tedious it's so hard to get through that 15 minute sequence i almost turned this movie off because i didn't care anymore um 
I just think that there's it, the movie could have benefited from being uh, one rewritten and two like maybe tacking on another 15 minutes to him living with them because there's really only one night there's really only one scene you get in it and so it's it's like it, the structure of it is jarring and weird and I didn't I don't know I wasn't on board with it that being said Pierce Brosnan is fantastic in it I rewrote the movie in my brain to be about um to be post bond bond it's about a disgraced james bond who's now taking just random hit contracts from organized crime people but he's he's kind of getting too old for it it's a better uh thematically speaking it's better at showing an aging james bond than skyfall is because skyfall sucks the matador kind of sucks uh it does it's not as bad as skyfall actually um but skyfall it's dumb because James Bond is like, oh, I'm too old for this. And they keep telling him about what a dinosaur he is and what a relic he is in the in, in MI6. But we just saw this character rebooted two movies ago. And the second movie picks up exactly where the first movie left off. So the first two movies are James Bond's first mission in total. Those two movies only add up to one James Bond mission, and it's his first mission for MI6. And then, or his first mission as a double O agent, I guess. And then in Skyfall, they're saying, oh, you're too old for this. He's been on one mission as far as we've seen. Two, if you count the mission we see at the beginning where he gets shot. So it doesn't make any sense that he's now, quote, old, especially since Daniel Craig doesn't look that old. Pierce Brosnan is aged up in this movie. He's got a gray hair. He's got, or he's got, he's got salt and pepper hair. He's got a gray beard. Um, he looks weary. He does a good job acting weary. He's kind of going through the motions and he's trying to fill this um, void in his life with sort of booze and womanizing and sex, which is what James Bond does, right? And... And so now he's, like, lost the passion for those things. And so it's really interesting if you sort of make this, uh, if you sort of make his James Bond movies plus um, The Matador plus uh, No Escape, as I'll talk about in a second, this sort of spiritual trilogy about uh, James Bond um, and, and him dealing with being burnt out and then him coming back from that to work in a different capacity for the for the British government uh, it's, yeah, uh, that's not how those movies are supposed to work, but it's really fun to think of them that way. Pierce Brosnan's great in it because he plays that sort of world-weary James Bond very, very well. And he, uh, it's just sort of if James Bond didn't give a crap anymore and, like, had no filter. There's no innuendo. It's literally just him, like, going up to women and asking to have sex now. Uh, and so, because the movie's rated R, and so you can get away with sort of more R-rated stuff like that. But, um... It's, it's really interesting to just be like, oh, what if you took all of the one-liners away from James Bond and just made him the most forward man ever, but still made him look like James Bond? And so that's really fun. This is where I get into my rant about Pierce Brosnan. I think Pierce Brosnan's a great James Bond. I think he's uh, very poorly served by his Bond movies. I don't think they're particularly well-written with the exception of Goldeneye, but Goldeneye is great. If you haven't watched Goldeneye in a while, uh go watch it. It's really good. It's really good. But his previous, or his his uh, following three Bond outings are not very 
good, but I don't think it's his fault. I think he tries a lot. I think he's a good James Bond. GoldenEye is in my top three favorite Bond movies of all time. It's so good. Um, I don't know if I would say top three, maybe top five. It might be top three. GoldenEye is really good. So I think he he's always been a good actor, but he kind of gets written off as sort of a goofy Bond, and that's because he was written as a goofy Bond. And so he just kind of did what he had to do with what he was given. But Pierce Brosnan's really good. I like Pierce Brosnan a lot. I think he's super entertaining to watch. And that's where I segue into No Escape. No Escape is a thriller that came out this last weekend, and it sort of follows the story of this family who's moving to uh, some Asian country, which I've now learned is Thailand. They never say what it is in the movie. Um, Owen Wilson plays the, the patriarch of this. Uh, Lake Bell plays the matriarch of this. They have two children. And then Pierce Brosnan is sort of this guy they run into along the way. When they're in the process of moving to Thailand, an uprising starts. The sort of civil war breaks out. And now they have to, uh, quote, escape the civil war because they're killing um people who work for owen wilson's company because owen wilson works for this water company that's going to come into uh thailand and take over the water company but then charge them these subsidies uh or charge them these uh these fees that the state can't pay so they kind of have them in bondage and have them kind of over the fire as far as uh financially Later, it comes to light that Pierce Brosnan is sort of a British guy, like like a British agent businessman type guy who comes in and sort of stakes out these spots that these companies can do this in, which is why I consider it sort of the, the disgraced James Bond trilogy. The movie itself is it's written and directed by the Dowdle brothers, who I mentioned on the, on the last episode, did uh, two really solid uh, horror thrillers called Devil and As Above, So Below. I think they're really, really good movies. I don't think they're uh, great. I don't think they're all-time classics, you know. But I think they're really solid. I think the Dowdle Brothers do really solid work. And boom, here we have it again. This is a really solid movie. It's intense beginning to end, basically. From the time the uprising starts through the end of the movie, it doesn't let up. It's very tightly plotted. It's very um, tightly wound. It's It's got a great tension going throughout it there's a very good like tension going throughout it because you don't really know who's going to live and who's going to die that's my biggest problem with it all of the main characters live in this movie here's why that's a problem the movie's called no escape everyone should have died in this movie I don't want to say this in a bloodlusting way but I should have seen two little girls get shot in the face by some uh, Vietnamese people uh, at the end of this movie because they escape to Vietnam and Vietnam kind of acts like they're not going to let them come in and then they 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 switch their focus to the, the Thai rebels and so you think Vietnam's going to shoot them and then they don't and they sort of sail into Vietnam and they're safe in Vietnam. That's called Total Escape! That's what this movie should be called. It's not called No Escape. It was called No Escape. Everyone would have died. Everyone should have died in this movie if you're going to call it No Escape. That's all I have to say about that. So that's, I mean, I, that's a little bit of a nitpick, but not really because you're betraying the title of your movie of Everyone Escapes. Not Everyone Escapes. There are, like, plenty of other people that die, but those aren't the people I give a crap about. These people I give a crap about should have died. That's all I have to say about that. Um, as far as performances go, Owen Wilson's friggin' terrible in this movie. Uh, 
Owen Wilson's really bad in it. He's very much Owen Wilson in it. There's a scene near the end of this movie where he's supposed to be um, just sort of broken and in shock as a human being because Pierce Brosnan's character just died. And he's smiling throughout it because he doesn't know how to act shocked. It's awful. It's so bad. Oh, man. I hate Owen Wilson in this movie. He's so bad in it. But they surround it with enough tension and enough other people who aren't terrible that uh, it doesn't really matter, even though he's the main sort of driving force in this movie. He's, he's, his performance becomes secondary to the, the overall tension that keeps getting ramped and ramped and ramped and ramped and ramped throughout the movie. So it's intense enough for me to forgive it. I don't know if it's intense enough for me to forgive it a second time because I know where the story's going. And uh, yeah, I, man, he's bad in it. However, Lake Bell, the woman who plays his wife, is fantastic in it. Uh, she's so well-written and so good. Um, and that marriage that they, they... The marriage on display here is great. It's very natural. It feels like... Um, oh, and that's the other thing. Owen Wilson's character isn't poorly written. Owen Wilson's character is actually pretty well-written. Owen Wilson can't make up for the well-writtenness of it, though. He can't He can't rise to the level of the writing here. And so that's the biggest disconnect. So Owen Wilson's character is good. Uh, Lake Bell's character is also good, and Lake Bell's performance is great. And so she eleva- she's able to elevate to the level of the writing. And so the marriage that they have, the marriage dynamic is really good. And she actually has a good uh, chemistry with Owen Wilson, even though he's bad. Um, so she does a lot of the heavy lifting here. And she does a really good job at it. Uh, the little girls are fine. Uh, they're kind of annoying, but they're they're fine. Um, there is a little girl whose uh, her character's name is Breezy in this movie. Breezy, and uh, they don't call her uh, Breezy in the movie that much. They call her the Bees, which. If you're talking about a female and you refer to her as a bees, I think we all know what that's slang for. So there's hilarious moments in the movie where all kind of people are getting shot all the time. And Owen Wilson just goes, I have to go save the bees. And you're just like, did he just call his little girl what I think he just called his little girl it's hilarious uh it's not supposed to be I don't think it's supposed to be (laughs) um Pierce Brosnan is fantastic in this movie this is one of my favorite Pierce Brosnan performances in a non-Bond movie I haven't seen that many of them but oh man he's so great in it um he's really entertaining he's he's having fun he's uh he's sort of like kind of like a weird dirty old man but then he he's got a heart uh at the end of it and he's he's fantastic in it um yeah, Pierce Brosnan is great in this movie. It's it's a really good performance. He doesn't get enough screen time. He's not in it that much, so that sucks. Uh, he dies in this movie, and the way he goes out is just boss. He just he goes out so cool in this movie. It's one of the best uh, I'm going out on top deaths I've seen in a while. So that's pretty good. Um, the action is is really well shot. It does shaky cam when there's it's necessary. It does steady cam even more um they they use the camera to illustrate the um the unease of the characters and that's really good uh so when owen wilson's running through the street like confused about what's going on and why there's this sort of uprising going 
They do a good job of using shaky cam, not to a nauseating degree, but they do it to illustrate that he doesn't know what's going on, and so he's uneasy, and so the camera is uneasy. It illustrates that point for him. Um, it's pretty well shot. There's not a lot a lot going on as far as shot composition goes there's a pretty great shot in the intro the intro is actually really well shot um but other other than that it's just perfectly serviceable uh as far as camera work goes it's a solid solid movie outside of the fact that uh none of the main characters die when they all should have and owen wilson's terrible in it um it's it's intense everything every choice that character makes feels organic it feels over the top for sure, but it feels organic. It feels natural for the character because the character's an engineer. And so there are these sort of very creative uses of the environment around him where uh, Owen, the Owen Wilsonness of it all overshadowed the engineering uh, man of it all. And so I forgot he was supposed to be this super smart engineer. So he was using the environment. I was like, what the hell? Owen Wilson is not smart enough to have figured that out. And then my fiance leaned over to me in the middle of the movie and she was like, oh, it's because he's an engineer. And I was like, that's right. The character is supposed to be an engineer, so he uses the environment creatively. So um, the fact that he's an engineer is actually put to good use here. There's uh, there's not as much uh, national treasuring, as I like to call it, as there was in their previous movie, As Above, So Below, where they had these like historians that are faced with these like death traps that have to do with history, and then they have to solve them, and they have all the knowledge immediately at the forefront of their mind. It feels much more like he's in a desperate situation and just using the environment around him on the fly. He does a good job, uh, or the film does a good job portraying that that's what he's doing. So No Escape's a really solid movie. It's a way better late August release than we are used to getting around this time of year. It's probably the best late August release that we're going to get this year. Um, And I just, I like the Dowdle Brothers a lot. They do a lot of good stuff. Uh, The marriage on display isn't... um, isn't like he's bumbling and she's a you know and she's there to save the day or like she's just helpless and trapped like they work together there's a teamwork going on between this husband and wife that you don't often get to see usually one of them is the more dominant personality this one is just like oh yeah you do this and i'll do that and then i'm in this dangerous situation so you save me and like it it feels organic it feels uh very much like Uh, like that's what would happen in like a solid stable marriage and they illustrate a solid stable marriage well which we don't get a lot and I like it it handles a lot of things really well and thematically it's pretty rich as far as uh, family dynamics go and survival instincts and just sort of what to do when you don't know what to do you know Um, so it's it's not an all-timer like I said but it joins the ranks of the other Dowdle Brothers movies as being very solid, solid thriller filmmaking. They do good stuff, and that's better than I could say for a lot of movies. So that's No Escape, uh, that's The Matador, that's Behind Enemy Lines. All three of them, pretty middle of the road. No Escape, the superior of all three, um, but Pierce Brosnan's great in, in both of them. Uh, I would say go see No Escape over any of the other ones, probably. It's a, it's a good time. Like, you know, I mean, it's not, it's a, you know, it's super intense. And like, we were kind of in a weird mood after it. Cause it's not, it's not like a fun kind of intense. It's like, a ah, uh, these people are going to die kind of intense, but, but it's still, I, I would say it's still worth seeing. Um, these Dowdle brothers have, have good stuff in them. I think there might be a great movie in them too. I think they just need uh, more practice. They just need to keep doing it more. And I think as long as they keep being as solid as they have been, they'll keep getting work. And I want them to keep getting work.
because uh, they're pretty good. So yeah, uh, you can follow me on Facebook, on Twitter, at Before and After Pod. That's at Before, the letter N, After Pod. Uh, you can email the show, show at gmail.com. Let me know what, uh, what your favorite movie of the summer has been. Mine was Mad Max, probably, or Ant-Man. Kind of a tie. Subscribe on SoundCloud, subscribe on iTunes, comment on SoundCloud. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're going to keep this going for you guys as long as possible. But I need to know you're listening. Please let me know you're listening. I just, I like interacting with you guys. And uh, I get a lot of you talk to me in person. That's great. Give me some stuff I can read on the, on the air. Um, I'd, I'd like that. Um, yeah, until next time, go read The Martian. Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs>